0: Welcome to Dissecting Philosophy with Dr. McDonald. In this episode, I'll be reading and discussing the section, The Convalescent in Nietzsche's Thus Spoke Zathustra. And it has a really nice discussion of Nietzsche's concept of the eternal return going on. So, let's get started. Section 1 One morning, not long after his return to the cave, Zarathustra sprang up from his bed like a madman, cried with a terrible voice, and behaved as if someone else was lying on the bed and would not rise from it. And Zarathustra's voice rang out in such a way that his animals came to him in terror, and from all the caves and hiding places in the neighbourhood, of Zarathustra's cave all the creatures slipped away flying fluttering creeping jumping according to the kind of foot or wing each had been given Zarathustra however spoke these words up abysmal thought up from my depths I am your cockerel and dawn sleepy worm up up my voice shall soon crow you awake listen the fetters of your ears listen for i want to hear you up up here is thunder enough to make even the graves listen and wipe the sleep and all the dimness and blindness from your eyes hear me with your eyes too My voice is a medicine even for those born blind. And once you are awake, you shall stay awake forever. It is not my way to awaken great-grandmothers from sleep in order to bid them go back to sleep. Are you moving, stretching, rattling? Up, up. You shall not rattle. You shall speak to me zarathustra the godless calls you i zarathustra the advocate of life the advocate of suffering the advocate of the circle i call you my most abysmal thought ah you are coming i hear you my abyss speaks i have turned my ultimate depth into light ah come here give me your hand ha (laughs) don't, ha ha, disgust, 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 woe is me. So for the convalescent, then the word convalescent means recovering from an illness, and that sort of sets the tone, overall, for this section where Zarathustra himself is going to be recovering from an illness, and what that illness is going to be, we're going to find out as we go along is precisely that of humanity and humanity's cruelty but before we get to all that in the upcoming section it sort of kicks us off in such a way that xathustra's initially in his cave and then all the animals come to him And it's quite a humorous image when you think about it because it's almost like Zarathustra is like a Disney princess in the sense of you have in the classic Disney movies, especially like Snow White, she's just suddenly in the garden tending to the flowers or whatever she's doing and then suddenly she'll break into song and then there'll be a back and forth between Snow White and a little songbird and so forth. And we've had this as well at the start of this section where suddenly all the animals are coming to Zarathustra and very much this Disney-like quality and then we have this whole up from the abyss and what the whole up from the abyss is really all this which is gonna set us up for section two is precisely that moment when he's gonna be overcome with all that negativity and that fits nicely into all the last sentence of that section Disgust, disgust, disgust. woe is me so then continuing on into section two to get into all the juicy stuff hardly had Zarathustra spoken these words however when he fell down like a dead man and remained like a dead man for a long time But when he again came to himself, he was pale and trembling and remained lying down and for a long time would neither eat nor drink. This condition lasted seven days. His animals, however, did not leave him by day or night, except that the eagle flew off to fetch food, and whatever he had collected and fetched, he laid upon Zarathustra's bed, so that at last Zarathustra lay among yellow and red berries, grapes, rosy apples, sweet-smelling herbs, and pine cones. At his feet, however, two lambs were spread, which the eagle had, with difficulty, carried off from their shepherd. At last, after seven days, Zarathustra raised himself in his bed, took a rosy apple in his hand, smelt it, and found its odor pleasant. Then his animals thought. The time had come to speak to him. Oh, Zarathustra, they said, now you have lain like that seven days with heavy eyes. Will you not now get to your feet again? Step out of your cave. The world awaits you like a garden. The wind is laden with heavy fragrance that longs for you, and all the brooks would like to run after you. All things long for you since you have been alone seven days. Step out of your cave. All things want to be your physicians. Has perhaps a new knowledge come to you, a bitter, oppressive knowledge, you have lain like leaven dough your soul has risen and overflowed its brim oh my animals answered zarathustra go on talking and let me listen your talking is such refreshment where there is talking the world is like a garden to me how sweet it is that words and sounds of music exist Are words and music not rainbows, and seeming bridges between things eternally separated? Every soul is a world of its own, for every soul, every other soul, is an afterworld. Appearance lies most beautifully among the most alike, for the smallest gap is the most difficult to bridge. For me, how could there be an outside of me? There is no outside but we forget that when we hear music how sweet it is that we forget are things not given names and musical sounds so that man may refresh himself with things speech is a beautiful foolery with it man dances over all things how sweet is all speech and all the falsehoods of music with music does our love dance upon many-coloured rainbows? O oh, Zarathustra, said the animals then, all things themselves dance for such, as think as we. They come and offer their hand, and laugh and flee and return. Everything goes, everything returns. The wheel of existence rolls for ever everything dies, everything blossoms anew. The year of existence runs on forever. Everything breaks, everything is joined anew. The same house of existence builds itself forever. Everything departs, everything meets again. The ring of existence is true to itself forever. Existence begins in every instant. The ball There rolls around every here. The middle is everywhere. The path of eternity is crooked. So, in the next part then we have Zarathustra lying down for seven days in this state where the animals are taking care of him and looking after him. And in quite a surprising moment as well, suddenly we have the animals talk to him so now we have almost like a dr doolittle situation where of course dr doolittle can speak to animals and suddenly the animals are now speaking to Zathustra and the animals are now saying now that you've woken up come on get yourself together come out of this cave come out of this state that you're in, go out into the world and it'll refresh you and you'll be among nature in this garden and it'll just be lovely. And then Zarathustra replies, oh, how much refreshment it is that what words you say. And so we have this whole relation into nature and the world is being very much therapeutic in order for us to try and get out of this situation that he's in right now with the illness for his mental health condition that he's in go and have a little walk get out stop being in such a stupor as you are stop being so down And then we have quite a lovely discussion about music and also language at the same time. And it's that whole relation, he says, well, music also has that power of rejuvenation in a way. As he says there, for me how could there be an outside of me, there is no outside, but we forget that when we hear music, how sweet it is that we forget, because here we're seeing the benefit precisely of a idealistic plane that's sort of created when you lose yourself in just the enjoyment of music itself as he says there is no outside of me which is to say well I exist in the world and Nietzsche is very much defending here the materialistic view there is no outside of me there is nothing more than just the world but music has that special quality when you listen to it and you can be in a really terrible mood suddenly you just start listening to it and it uplifts you, it makes you feel good, and suddenly you're no longer in a terrible mood anymore. And it's also the same thing with speech as well, which here we have that interesting relation into language, because language itself is a thing that's applied to objects in the world, and it's also providing that ideal space as well whenever you read a good book you again have that fantastic transportation away to this idealistic plane into this whole other world that's created and just the enjoyment of reading the story and so forth that has all that fantastic again therapeutic qualities about him and then from the discussion of music and language do we then start to touch upon one of the key things of this section which is Nietzsche's concept of the eternal return which has popped up before but here it pops up again now and it's that whole discussion everything returns the wheel of existence rolls on forever everything dies everything blossoms anew and it's really thinking about just time is cyclical, hence why he says eternity is crooked, because we think so much in terms of past, present, and future in a very much linear fashion, but the way in which Nietzsche thinks about time is again cyclical, and a great example an easy example is precisely just to think about nature and the way that nature operates on the cycle of seasons where you have that continual repetition of spring summer autumn winter and you can apply this to knowledge as well as something that's cyclical and will come back to itself and interests will come back and what is challenging there? is traditional philosophy and as i've said in previous episodes as well what always traditional philosophy tries to do is create that stable basis and stable foundation based upon metaphysics because then it'll be pure eternal everlasting and so on but here we have the idea of everything being cyclical and again it builds upon that idea of knowledge being like sandcastles from the previous episode where we have that whole washing away old knowledge old ideas and allowing for a newness to emerge at the same time so let's continue on then oh you buffoons and barrel organs answered zarathustra and smiled again how well you know what had to be fulfilled in seven days and how that monster crept into my throat and choked me but i bit its head off and spat it away and you have already made a hurdy-gurdy song of it i however lie here now still weary from this biting and spitting away still sick with my own redemption and you looked on at it all. Oh, my animals, are you too cruel? Did you desire to be spectators of my great pain, as men do, for man is the cruelest animal. More than anything on earth, he enjoys tragedies, bullfights, and crucifixions, And when he invented hell for himself, behold, it was his heaven on earth. When the great man cries out, straight away the little man comes running. His tongue is hanging from his mouth with levaciousness. He, however, calls it his pity. The little man, especially the poet, how zealously he accuses life in words. Listen to it. But do not overlook the delight that is in all accusation. Some accusers of life, life overcomes them with a glance of its eye. Do you love me? It says impudently. Just wait a little. I have no time for you yet. Man is the cruelest animal towards himself. And with all who call themselves sinners and bearers of the cross and penitence do not overlook the sensual pleasure that is in this complaint and accusation and i myself do i want to be the accuser of man ah my animals this alone have i learned that the wickedest in man is necessary for the best in him that all that is most wicked in him is his best strength and the hardest stone for the highest creator, and that man must grow better and wickeder, to know man is wicked. That was to be tied to no torture stake, but I cried as no one had cried before. Alas that his wickedest is so very small, alas that his best is so very small. The great disgust at man it choked me, and had crept into my throat. And what the prophet prophesied, it is all one. Nothing is worth while. Knowledge chokes. A long twilight limps in front of me. A mortally weary, death-intoxicated sadness, which speaks with a yawn. The man of whom you are weary, the little man. Reoccurs eternally. Thus my sadness yawned and dragged its feet and could not fall asleep. The human earth became to me a cave, its chest caved in. Everything living became to me human decay, and bones in mouldering past. My sighs sat upon all graves of man and could no longer rise. My sighs and questions croaked and choked and gnawed and wailed by day and night. Alas, man recurs eternally. The little man recurs eternally. I had seen them both naked, the greatest man and the smallest man, all too similar to one another, even the greatest all too human. The greatest all too small, that was my disgust at man. And, eternal recurrence, even for the smallest, that was my disgust at all existence. Ah, disgust, disgust, disgust. Thus spoke Zathustra and sighed and shuddered, for he remembered his sickness, but his animals would not let him speak further. So then in the next little bit we have this image of Zarathustra having bit the head off a monster and it goes back into a previous image that we had and it was the one where Zarathustra was standing over a young man who had a snake in his mouth again who had tried to bite onto his throat and the young man got himself out of the situation by biting the head off a snake that was doing it and liberated himself from biting its head off so we have this image come back again but with Zarathustra himself and what exactly is choking him is not the snake but rather the monster is his great disgust at man it choked me and crept into my throat and so it really touches upon that key line then and what the prophet prophesied is all one nothing is worthwhile knowledge chokes because what it's picking upon for this whole thing is quite interesting because it has that relation back into how knowledge itself is constructed against the backdrop of trying to sort out human cruelty and so we have this whole relation into Zarathustra himself saying to the animals are you cruel for having looked over me in the first place whilst I was in this state and all the different descriptions of human cruelty as well that happens we have crucifixion as an example and then we have bullfights and then animal cruelty at the same time and from all that he would say well where is humanity's benefit coming out of all that and to add another point that Nietzsche doesn't use as well you we can equally say well look at humanity's destruction of the environment equally but what is the benefit who tries to shape and mold humanity into where you would like them to go and that's kind of one of the questions that sort of drives philosophy in a way and one ways in which philosophers try to distinguish themselves from everybody else because philosophy especially in Plato takes upon a really niche where it's only philosophers who have the correct knowledge about how things work and the way things are and can see all the problems with humanity therefore who is going to be the best people to go and sort out all these problems is not going to be politicians it's going to precisely be philosophers. And that's just a very, very brief going over the whole argument that Plato makes in The Republic. But we can see from all that, at least within traditional philosophy, there's this whole move towards creating systems of knowledge, creating ethical models, all the ways to try to shape and structure and organize humanity so they're not cruel anymore. And what is the thing that Everson hinges upon is that Nietzsche doesn't say explicitly. Rather, we potentially arrive in a very big ethical problem because he says, Ah, my animals, this alone have I learned that the wickedest in man is necessary for the best in him, that all that is most wicked in him is his best strength and the hardest stone for the highest creator and that man must grow better and wickeder and immediately reading that you go what because you run precisely into all those ethical problems do we have an advocation of all the immoral things and immoral actions that someone can commit and do we have suddenly then a justification of all those cruel things that's happened in the past such as the crucifixions and so on that he gives examples of what exactly is it talking about here and this is why he doesn't mention it explicitly but rather touched upon desire itself is the key thing that acts as the knife edge between both being the best person and also the worst at the same time because within Orga's religion we have suffering precisely coming through desire and it precisely illustrates all the negative qualities about desire and therefore what is the purpose of all that for someone to therefore look upon their own body and design processes within their own body in in an incredibly negative way in order for them to then adopt well what is the positive is all the spiritual aspect of that here we have quite a similar thing that's happening within this point to say well here we have a lot of negativity about humanity but also simultaneously desire is incredibly positive thing people need the desire to want to beat cancer people have the desire to win the race that they're in in an athletic competition people have the desire to go create artwork and so on so it's not just simply can you just pigeonhole desire itself into just a completely always negative thing that's always going to lead into negative consequences but hence why it, it always teeters on that knife edge because it's that principle of desire that can go either way and then we can see that whole relation into the statement again that knowledge chokes because everything's focused upon death in the afterlife again and disgust of the world and here we have precisely Zarathustra having again that great disgust and can't see anything positive positive. and this is when we have the animals come back in to try to knock some sense into Zarathustra so let's continue on speak no further convalescent thus his animals answered him but go out to where the world awaits you like a garden go out to the roses and bees and flocks of doves but go out especially to the songbirds so that you may learn singing from them for convalescents should sing let the healthy talk and when the healthy man too desires song He desires other songs than the convalescent. Oh, you buffoons and barrel organs, do be quiet, answered Zarathustra and smiled at his animals. How well you know what comfort I devised for myself in seven days. That I have to sing again. That comfort and this convalescence did I devise for myself. Do you want to make another hurdy-gurdy song out of that too? Speak no further, his animals answered once more. Rather, first prepare yourself a liar, convalescent, a new liar. For behold, O Zarathustra, new liars are needed for new songs. Sing and bubble over, O Zarathustra. Heal your soul with new songs, so that you may bear your great destiny that was never yet the destiny of any man for your animals well know, O Zarathustra, who you are and must become. Behold, you are the teacher of the eternal recurrence, that is now your destiny, that you have to be the first to teach this doctrine. How should this great destiny not also be your greatest danger and sickness? Behold, We know what you teach, that all things reoccur eternally and we ourselves with them and that we have already existed an infinite number of times before and all things with us. You teach that there is a great year of becoming, a colossus of a year. This year must, like an hourglass, turn itself over and over again so that it may run down and run out anew so that all these years resemble one another in the great things and in the smallest, so that we ourselves resemble ourselves in each great year, in the greatest things and in the smallest. And if you should die now, O Zarathustra, behold, we know too what you would say then to yourself. But your animals ask you not to die yet you would say, and without trembling, but rather grasping for happiness, for a great weight and oppression would have been lifted from you, most patient of men. Now I die in decay, you would say, and in an instant I shall be nothingness. Souls are as mortal as bodies, but the complex of causes in which I am tangled will reoccur. It will create me again." I myself am part of these causes of the eternal recurrence. I shall return with this sun, with this earth, with this eagle, with this serpent, not to a new life, or a better life, or a similar life. I shall return eternally to this identical and self-same life. In the greatest things, and in the smallest, to teach once more, the eternal recurrence of all things, to speak once more the teaching of the great noontide of earth and man, to tell man of the superman once more. I spoke my teaching, I broke upon my teaching, thus my eternal fate will have it, as prophet do I perish. Now the hour has come, when he who is going down shall bless himself, thus... Ends Zarathustra's down going. When the animals had spoken these words, they fell silent and expected that Zarathustra would say something to them. But Zarathustra did not hear that they were silent. On the contrary, he lay still with closed eyes like a sleeper, although he was not asleep, for he was conversing with his soul. The eagle and the serpent, however, when they found him thus silent, respected the great stillness around him and discreetly withdrew so then rounding off the section we have an absolutely fantastic discussion of the eternal return or the eternal reoccurrence so the animals then come back to him and quite like the start of the section then say get hold of yourself go out you need to freshen yourself up you need to sing songs and make yourself new songs to go and sing go fashion a lyre for yourself to play in which you can have a nice prance around in the garden again there's a quite a nice sort of Disney princess Zarathustra prancing around in the garden as he does image that pops into your head when you read it but then of course we get to the crux about the whole concept to the eternal return everything reoccurring an infinite number of times and one of the important things that comes out of him is not as he says to a new life or a better life or a similar life but to the exactly identical life so then we have so then we have of course the criticism against organized religion where you say well in the afterlife you're moving towards this whole aspect of a better life for yourself so it's not that not to a new life so eternal return doesn't work in the same way that reincarnation would work where you have the posh word for its transmigration of the soul but the soul leaving the body And then returns back into another body. Whatever it be of course. Not necessarily another human being. It's potentially an insect or an animal. So forth. And not even a similar life. But to the identical same life. What is that trying to say there? If you had to return back. To exactly the same life. And relive it over and over and over again what would that be for you and this is the question that nietzsche wants us to start to think about in a really deep way here would your life now exactly as the way you are living it be a complete joy for yourself or would it be an absolute living hell for you if you had to live your life over and over again for eternity and so what it wants people to do then is to therefore answer the question if i had to do it over and over again it would be an absolute joy then of course hits into a nice problem of that does that mean a self-destructive life As the punk motto is, live fast, die young. And that would be, again, the ethical problem with it. Would that be something that would be enjoyable for a life? If to have to repeat that over and over and over again. And so it wants people to have the desire to improve their situation Not in a self destructive way, but as very much building upon the previous ideas of self improvement and striving for an individual to think upon their own current life, think upon their own current situation, and think to themselves, if I had to be stuck in this job, if I had to be stuck in this situation for a repetition that's going to be endless would i want that and so it's of course striving for people to go and chase their dreams as well if you want to go do something you should therefore have that design process be a musician be an artist be a hairdresser whatever it is the thing that is gonna make someone happy for the rest of their entire life cyclical process if you had to live it again and again and again so that wraps up this section of the convalescent with one of the longest discussions of the concept of the eternal return that's popped up in Zarathustra so far and the next episode we will be continuing on into the section of the great longing where we have that discussion of Zarathustra talking to his soul Many thanks for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed my discussion of the section The Convalescent in Nietzsche's Thus Spoke Zarathustra. Feel free to check out my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash dissectingphilosophy. Also feel free to drop me an email at my address dissectingphilosophy at gmail.com. You can tip me a coffee... At ko fi.com forward slash dissecting philosophy. And lastly, I can be found on Twitter at IAMARUBBERMAN. Many thanks for listening to the episode, and I hope you'll join me next time.